Good morning. Welcome to Main Street United Methodist on this uh, beginning of autumn Sunday. Uh, we really enjoyed the beautiful weather in the past few days, the dryness. It seems so stunning to be outside and you don't, don't need an oxygen mask to breathe. So <clears throat> glad you're here. I know it's a spring break week and many people are out of town, but we're really glad you all are here and are ready to be a part of God's worship experience. Um, let's pause for a few seconds and then our praise band will bring us into worship. just a word Thank you. 
Good morning, and again, welcome. We're so glad you're here, especially on this spring break week. You are the few, the proud, those who have not yet left town. So we're really glad you're here. Uh, just to uh, name a few folks who really need our prayers this morning, Dudley Dearman continues to need our prayer, Tim Cole, the Royals family, um, because our Royals are helping to care for the other Royals, uh, Sarah Catherine Wallace, <clears throat> Linda Dixon, her family, one of, one of our associate pastors here who is in charge of Aldersgate, her brother died in the past week. Um, Adam Andrews, who's uh, uh, an infant who came to us via the Jeffcoat family that used to be a big part of our life here. And also James and Edwina Stokes were in a car accident last night. And um, I don't think anybody's life-threatening um, injury, but I think Edwina has been injured. So let's remember them this morning. <clears throat> Are there names that you would like to lift up this morning? Well, then let's pray the prayer together as found on our screen. Almighty God, grant that all who confess your name may be united in your truth, live together in your love, and reveal your glory in the world. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Guide the people of this land and of all the nations in the ways of justice and peace that we may honor one another and serve the common good. Lord, in your mercy. Give us a reverence for the earth as your own creation, that we may use its resources rightly in the service of others and to your honor and glory, Lord, in your mercy. Bless all whose lives are closely linked with ours and grant that we may serve Christ in them and love one another as Christ loves us. Lord, in your mercy. Comfort and heal all those who suffer in body, mind, or spirit Give them courage and hope in their troubles and bring them the joy of your salvation. Lord, in your mercy, we offer these prayers through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let's continue in worship.
today. I've always liked the songs. I remember even even growing up, I would be in the in the sanctuary and we would have the hymnals and and there were, you know, you're sitting there with your parents and grandparents and people who were three or four generations ahead of you. And I think it's a perfect message for what for what this hymn says. Is that the the kingdom of God, the overarching narrative of God, him coming and rescuing the world is embodied in this song because one generation gives way to the next generation, but we're all going toward that idea of bringing God's kingdom to earth. And um, I know at every season that we've kind of sang this song, it, it's in good or bad, the journey keeps going, the story keeps being told. And, uh, and we get to find ourselves in that story regardless of where we are. And um, so just, I guess, think through that as you in your own story, in your own walk, in your own uh, journey with, with Christ, kind of how that's gone for you. So. And let our songs abound and every tear be dried We're marching through children we were going to have with it being fall break not spring break <laughs> I'm not ready for spring we need a little fall and winter don't we come on up here Quinn but we have several boys and girls we have Shelby being clingy back there all right good morning everyone how are you Tired? You look tired. Has anyone ever used one of these? You have? Quinn has. <laughs> Does anybody know what it's called? You've seen one? It's called a level. And this one is a teeny tiny level, isn't it? It actually hangs on a string. Do you see where it can hang on the string? See right there, the string will hook string will hook on it. Come on up 
up here, Shelby. There's a little bubble inside. Y'all see that little, you see the bubble inside it and there's two lines right there. Do you see the lines in the bubble? Well, when this bubble is in the middle of these two lines, then this is perfectly balanced. Oh, oh, close, huh? Getting close. Well, Mr. David and I have been building a fence at our house. And one of my jobs has been to watch this level. And you may go, that's not much of a job. But Mr. David would pull a string across and I had to watch the level as he moved the string, and I had to tell him when it was perfectly balanced so that he could mark where the rails on the fence had to go. Ah, okay. So we knew that our rails were going to be straight on our fence because if not, we might have to look at our fence like that because our rails might be like, like that. Or our puppies might get out of the backyard without us knowing it if we didn't have everything straight. Yes, might have to look at it like that. Okay, so this level is a good reminder for us, though. We need to have balance in our lives. Now, in Sunday school today, our kindergarten, first and second graders, your lesson today is about there being a time and a season for everything. So right now, your lives are pretty simple. Hey, Jack. Your lives are pretty simple. There's a time for you to play, a time for you to do schoolwork, those of you that are in big school, a time for you to be with your family. There's a time for you to spend with God. And, of course, there's a time for you to rest. Now, as you grow, grow, grow older... There's going to be other things, sports and music and clubs, and it's going to get a little bit more challenging. It's going to get a little bit more challenging. And you know what? Believe it or not, you're going to have a lot more homework as you get older. And it's going to take a little bit more effort for you to do the things that you want to do and the things that you need to do. Okay? So, how do we... Keep balanced. How do we keep balanced? We can look back at this level. When this is balanced and the bubble is in the middle, I see that. When this is in the middle and we know that it is balanced, we can think this is like when we put God first in our lives. God is that little bubble in our lives when we put God in the center with the lines of our lives, then things balance out for us. And they will balance out for us pretty quickly if we do that. Now, when God falls in the center, there are so many things that we can do rather than when our lives are all off balance. She's having a very good time up here, I'm just saying. Okay, so when God is in the center of your life, you know what? It is so much easier for us to be able to make sure that we find the time 
to do the important things. Okay? So, y'all ready to head upstairs? Okay. So, let's say a little quick prayer, and then we're going to head upstairs. And today, we're going to stick with our Bible heroes, but guess what? Not all heroes are guys. Just saying. All right? So, let's bow our heads. Dear God, we thank you for this beautiful day that we have to come together and to give you time to be in our lives, for us to put you first. And dear Lord, we just ask that you help us to keep you in the center this week and we um, shine your light for others so that they may see you in, in us. And in your name, we always pray. Amen. Amen. And while they are making their exit, if you would put our statement of faith on the screen and let's share this together as they make their way to um, Children's Church. We are not alone. We live in God. You're supposed to be saying this with me now, everybody. Uh, this is not our first Sunday together. Let's try that. We are not alone. We live in God's world. We believe in God who has created and is creating, who has come in Jesus, is the word made flesh, to reconcile and make new, who works in us and others by the Spirit. We trust in God. We are called to be the church, to celebrate God's presence, to live with respect in creation, to love and serve others, to seek justice and resist evil, to proclaim Jesus crucified and risen, our judge and our hope in life, in death, in life beyond death. God is with us. We are not alone. Thanks be to God. Amen. Something to hang on to as the week progresses. Um, today, we're going to continue the Luke kind of journey we've been making really for the past eight weeks or so. And we're going to pick up with the parable right after the one I did last week. You remember last week we talked about Jesus' parable of the shrewd manager. And, you know, we struggle with the shrewd manager, but we ended up kind of with the idea that Jesus um, wants action from Jesus' believers, not just cognitive assent, not just belief in your head. You're supposed to be doing something in this world. And that was what he was complimenting the shrewd manager on, not necessarily his ethics, um, which we all have problems with, but the fact that the guy was a man of action. <clears throat> So let's look today at the text. This is Luke, also chapter 16. This is 19 through 31. Why don't you read the Evered numbered verses with me? There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. 
Besides all this, between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, that he may warn them, so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ for the people of God. Let's pray. Lord, we've heard this text many times, and we're easily distracted by many of the details in it. Help us today to zero in on you. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Jesus told the parable of the shrewd manager just before this one. And as the elite men in the crowd who were listening to Jesus were scowling, he told another parable, this one, back-to-back with the previous one. And today's scripture continues Jesus' interchange with the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. This is the only time that Jesus uses an actual name of a person in a parable. As it is, the name Lazarus is derived from the Hebrew Lazarus, which means whom God has helped. So as they were hearing this, when he pronounced the name Lazarus, they were hearing whom God has helped. The word comes from the word Eleazar, which means God helps, which um, if you are in the Old Testament, you'll hear that verb sometimes uh, spoken as a name. This is a story of of one whom God has helped. I'll leave it to you to decide. Remember how tricky Jesus often is in his stories which one God really helps in this story. Surely it's Lazarus, but it may also be those who will read about the story of the rich man, maybe even you and me. And I'll give you another hint that maybe, maybe will help you under this, understand this story better. Charles Dickens used this story for the basis of one of his most famous works, but he changed the ending. Do you remember the story? A Christmas story, right? Um, Scrooge is very rich, whose former partner Marley has died before him. It's nearly Christmas, and Scrooge is, as in his usual, giving everyone a hard time about the celebration and refusing to take part in any kind of brotherly love or even human consideration. That night he visited, he's visited by his dead friend Marley, who comes to warn Scrooge that his current way of living will lead to a terrible doom in the afterlife. Marley's Uh, sports chains and groans to prove it. As Scrooge tries to ignore his friend, chalking the vision up to an hallucination from uh, indigestion, if you remember correctly, Marley informs Scrooge that he will be visited that night by three ghosts. And as we know, Scrooge is visited by three ghosts, Christmas present, Christmas past, and Christmas future. And as Scrooge is brought face to face with his own hurts and his own pain and the hardening of his heart and subsequent cold deeds, he finally realizes the state of his soul and his isolated condition and repents only to find that it's still Christmas morning. A changed man. Scrooge visits the nephew, brings food and blesses everyone he meets, and he has an entire repentance and change not only of heart but of life and action. It's this same story with a different ending. 
Now let's get back to the Jesus story about a rich man and Lazarus. Though Jesus' story may take up only a few paragraphs in the Gospel of Luke, it's rich with meaning and metaphor and just as chilling as the Scrooge story can be. We have a rich man who feasted sumptuously every day. He's never lacking for anything. Um, this could be us. We, uh, I would say that if you were in my congregation at Main Street United Methodist Church, we never really worry about food. In fact, most of us battle having a little too much and carrying it around our waistline. So it's usually not about food, and we feast sumptuously pretty much whenever we want. And um, we never really worry about it. In fact, we don't really worry about being hot or cold in any season, do we? So by his gate lies a poor man named Lazarus, the one whom God will help. And Lazarus longed for the scraps from the rich man's table. He desired merely the scraps and the crumbs. Remember, he didn't even desire to be invited to the table, just the scraps. That would have been enough for him. The story doesn't say he ever got any, by the way. It only says that he longed for them. We don't know if the rich man ever relented. But if he did, it surely wasn't much. And when he died, he went to be with Abraham. Lazarus went to be with Abraham. And later the rich man died as well. The rich man went to Hades, and Lazarus Lazarus was with Abraham. And oddly, they are able to carry on a conversation. I've always thought that really unusual. Even as a child, I remember thinking when I heard this story, they're talking. Even though Abraham tells him he can't do anything for him because a great chasm has been fixed so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so and no one can cross from there to us. This is interesting and we'll come back to this a little later. To this, the rich man asked if Abraham might at least send Lazarus to his father's house for he has five brothers whom we assume are just as unconcerned with the poor as he is that they might be warned. So they will not come to the same end as he is. Sounds kind of familiar to the Dickens story, doesn't Marley trying to warn Scrooge? However, unlike Dickens' fate, here Abraham replies, they have Moses and the prophets, and when the rich man pleads, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Abraham replies, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if somebody rises from the dead. Now, whereas Dickens believes that we can be persuaded, as Scrooge was, by the appearance of ghosts, Abraham points to the stubbornness of certain types of people and notes that if they aren't persuaded by the entire scripture and the stories therein, they're not going to be persuaded by somebody rising from the dead. Can you tell that Jesus is already anticipating how his experience here will end up and he's kind of offering a jab about his future plans? He's going to rise from the dead and they're not going to believe that he did either. We, the readers, know at this point that Jesus is going to rise from the dead, but those listening to his story don't. And as Jesus notes, some will never believe it, even if they see it with their own eyes. Sometimes we humans can be incredibly stubborn about the facts. I mean, we're watching it happen worldwide these days. But what a great story. As usual, Jesus has a lot of secret and deep meaning embedded in the power-packed little parable here. One of the great metaphors in the story is the Greek word chasm. It's interesting, isn't it, that although the rich man is in Hades and Lazarus is in heaven, that the man can hold a conversation with Abraham from across the chasm. In fact, Abraham calls him child. 
And I want to point that out here. Child. I need you to hear that for the, despite his consequences, God has not abandoned this man. He has insisted, um, this man has insisted that he choose his own path. Yet he is still a beloved, if errant, child of God. How do we know this? The word chasm. One of the misconceptions about this story is that we assume that God has fixed the chasm between them. However, the story never says that. That's from our own theological background. In fact, it says plainly that a great chasm has been fixed. Who established this chasm? Why, the rich man, of course. All during his lifetime, he, let's look at what this means. A great title for this parable could be the great chasm. Because that's exactly the kind of relationship that the rich man set up in his life between himself and Lazarus. And all the others who are like Lazarus, by the way. Culturally, socially, even religiously in Jesus' day, the religious elite, the wealthy, the powerful, lived on one side of the spectrum, while the poor, the ill, the infirm, those without family or husband, lived exactly on the other side of the spectrum. And the reason the ill and the, those without husband, the widows, is because there was really hardly any income possible to a woman except that brought on by her husband and the ill there were no hospitals or clinics like we now have so if you could not work you would literally just starve to death the wealthy and the power state powerful state in their well-appointed homes ate well socialized with each other and felt quite righteous living out their faith according to the jewish rules of the day namely do not come in contact with those who are unclean on the other hand, the poor and those outcasts from the Jewish community languished in their poverty, illness, and loneliness. They were the forgotten and neglected of the social network. They did not seem terrible or unusual to those with food and means. Uh, it seemed like normal operation, way things operated. They thought they were doing just what they were supposed to do. They were caught up in their own lives, living their own way, and they were outstanding members of their community. Is any of this sounding familiar to you, ladies and gentlemen? Because this is us, too. But Jesus, but Jesus pointed out they already had received their due. They followed the rules, but their hearts were not engaged with others, at least not the others they deemed unworthy. So who fixed the great chasm between the rich man and Lazarus? The rich man did. The chasm between them and life simply was reversed by death. But the chasm remained. What was the rich man's sin? Observing the chasm, inflicting a separation between himself and others, and by doing so, between himself and God. Remember Jesus' phrase, what you do for others, you do for to me. What you don't do for others, you do not do to for me. As we say in our culture, Actions have consequences. The great chasm set up by the rich man that separated him from Lazarus, as solid, secure, and unmoving as the fence Lazarus lay by outside this man's gate, was only brought to the rich man's awareness upon his death. In this, he learned too late from Abraham what it meant to fix one's heart on God and others and not on material things. 
The gap or separation instituted by the rich man is not only the opposite of doing good for others and thereby bonding to God and neighbor, but the exact opposite of bonding to God and neighbor. Abraham explains that those enmeshed in these kinds of systems and who propagate these times of great chasms are fixed in their ways and are too fixed in their ways to listen or give heed to the scriptures and the prophets. And the good news, if there is any, well, although by the time we reach the finality of death, it's too late to heed Jesus' message, those listening to Jesus' parable in this telling are ironically given the gift that the rich man asked for. Those initially present for the telling of this parable and those of us 2,000 years later listening to this parable. Jesus himself serves as the messenger instead of Lazarus to all so that the truth of God and his own sacrifice might triumph over death and triumph over the chasm. Throughout the scriptures, the primary symbol for God's covenant and salvation and promise is the crossing over of chasms. Think about it. Whether we're talking about the crossing of the Red Sea or the crossing of the Jordan or Jacob's journey across the river to Esau or even Jacob's dream about the ladder, the ability to cross over has been made possible by the sacrifice of God throughout history. It's an amazing story, this story. Jesus, you see, can not only close the chasm between us that we've initiated, but can close the gap in one fell swoop. He can give hope to all who listen to him, believe in him, repent in him, and return back to God because of him. For what is the promise we make as a part of our covenant with God? Jesus tells us, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This takes care of everything that you really need to think about. Be in relationship with God, be in relationship with others, and we all make mistakes. I was listening to a, a podcast this week, and this person was quoting someone who was doing a, a graduation address at a college. And the person said, my deepest regret is not paying attention to those human beings who have been right in front of me all the moments of my life. I've often discounted them. I was too busy to pay attention to them. I didn't really talk to them. And he said, I'm nearing the end of my life, and I regret not encountering those persons fully, not being with them. And I think this story is really about that. We all make mistakes. We will insert unknowing chasms, sometimes in our lives between us and God and between us and others. But in Jesus, in Jesus' great mercy, a bridge has been built for us. And in our repentance and God's great love, we can cross over even those chasms that we think are unsolvable, the chasms in our families, the chasms in our friends, the chasms in our churches, the chasms in our societies, the chasms in our governments. These can all be crossed. If this story doesn't lead you to realize the immense gift Jesus has given us, we have entirely missed the punch of this story. But if you do, 
like Ebenezer Scrooge, this story can change your life. The message, seek God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Accept his amazing and gracious gift of salvation, healing, and connection and repair. No disciple of Jesus need be faced with a great chasm. We have the means and power to close life's gap, life's gaps with God's power. God, help us reach beyond ourselves to love and serve your world. We so easily isolate and separate. Help us to relate and engage. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Whenever I feel discouraged about being a disciple, I just remember Jesus' disciples and how even in relationship with him, they constantly built up separation experiences. You remember which one of us is the greatest, which one do you love the most, which one, you know, we don't like them, they're they're healing and they're not even using your name right. You remember all those things. And we get tangled up in that too. We too get tangled, tangled in the same way. So as you come today, know that if you're all tangled up in relationships that separate you, um, it, Jesus helped them overcome their chasms, and he can help us overcome ours. On the night that Jesus gave himself up for us, he took bread, broke it, gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body broken for you as often as you eat of it, do so in remembrance of me. After the meal, he likewise took the cup, blessed it, gave it to his disciples and said, this is my blood shed for you and the sins of many. As often as you drink of it, do so in remembrance of me. This is the feast of the Lord for you. This is the sustenance that helps us overcome the chasms. I'm going to ask if the Smiths and Stennis and the Stennis Joneses, if y'all would come help us serve. And once they are in place, you are heartily welcome to come and serve, to share in the table of the Lord. Do we see the 
us bridge all the chasms in our life that we may reveal you in your bridge building reality. Amen. Just a couple of announcements before we depart. Thank you to everybody who participated in the pasta bake last week. We made some good money for our youth programming in the coming year and we are thankful for your participation and support. Upcoming events, we have a children's Sabbath which is where many of our children will be a part of leading worship on October the 16th at both 9 and 11. And then we will have a Hattiesburg Area Charge Conference October the 16th at 4 p.m. in this fellowship hall. 
I wish you all would come. Um, this is the business meeting of your church, and we have one a year, and we elect all the leadership, and our district superintendent, uh, Connie Shelton, um, who may be our next bishop, is going to be here leading it, and I would love you to meet her because um, bishop elections happened in November, and then they took office January 1. And, you know, the world has changed, and generally bishops did not come back to the states they were from, but in the post-COVID world, I think that's a great big possibility. So please come and uh, meet her. If you don't know her, she'll be leading our charge conference. Um, other upcoming events, Fall Fair is November the 6th from 4 to 6 p.m., and then Consecration Sunday, where we um, all share and worship together in this uh, sanctuary and then go to lunch together at Southern Oaks is on November 13. So please be putting all these things on your calendar. God bless you. Thank you for being here during fall break. We're really glad you're here. God bless. <clears throat>